So welcome to another episode of On The Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Yurko Zuvela from Argosy Minerals, A-G-Y being the stock code there. And uh, Argosy has been a really uh, big winner uh, recently. Uh, Yurko is a chartered professional geologist. He spent over 25 years in mining and resource industries and has held executive management roles for private and public resource companies with operational and corporate experience in various commodities, covering exploration, project development, business, finance, commercial and corporate activities. A man of many talents, I have to say. And uh, Argosy Minerals is developing the Rincon Lithium Project at the Salar del Rincon, located in the Lithium Triangle in Salta Province, Argentina. And the company is progressing towards commencing battery quality lithium carbate production from its operation very shortly, I guess, uh, Yoko. Welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Really great to have you on board and to uh, to speak to a man who is very much at the coalface. Yep. Uh, thank you very much, Henry. Really great to be here and appreciate your your interest. And yeah, very much we're at the coalface and it's very exciting times for, for Argosy over the coming months as we become a commercial scale lithium carbonate producer and uh, obviously look to, to further our project development uh, um, you know, from there as well. Excellent. Well, before we kick off, I've got a few questions for you. But before we kick off, um, just the disclaimer, as usual, with all the information contained in this podcast, it is general advice only. So please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas or insights in this podcast. So, Yoko, first of all, that's the big question, because lithium has been so topical. Why lithium? Why, why are we all so excited about lithium for those that I guess have been hiding under a spodgy mean rock for a while. Yeah, listen, uh, it's been very exciting, like you said, the last sort of almost two years now. Um, I think, you know, we've, the lithium sector's had a couple of shots at it over the last sort of 10 or 12 years with this move to EVs and uh, electric vehicles and, and, and battery storage and, and so forth. It feels like this time's the, the real one. Uh, it looks like it's happening. We've obviously got a lot of support from governments, uh, from industry, you know, we, it looks like it is this time is, is the real shot to, to progress down this path, whereas a couple of previous false starts probably didn't have that same backing and support from, you know, from industry, from government and, and so forth. We've seen some of these policies, regulations, mandates that, um, that have been put in place. So now it looks like, and, and we're seeing the, the OEMs and, and, and these end-user customers and, and groups react uh, to what they feel is, is, the, is the real time as well. And that's why we're seeing lithium prices effectively skyrocket because, you know, up until the last year and a half, two years, you know, it's been a reasonably sort of balanced uh, sector in terms of supply demand of the product, albeit we have seen a few topsy-turvy sort of scenarios over the last, you know, sort of three or four or five years. Um, but, you know, now that it is real, people are starting to react they are reacting and they are doing, and that's why we're seeing the lithium price escalate as it has over the last 18 months. And, um, you know, from our side of things, we're seeing that demand is really serious about locking in supply, securing supply, and managing their supply chains to be able to produce these EVs and these batteries that um, the world is going to need over coming years. 
It's funny, isn't it? I was talking to a guy on email this morning who was sending me some links to uh, alternate technology to lithium-ion batteries. And I, I said, well, that's great, mate. But you know, at the end of the day, the lithium-ion battery and the EV is kind of your gateway drug. Uh, the, ba- the battery technology still is a little way away. It's still expensive. It's still a bit cumbersome. But the, uh, the EV story has been the gateway drug, I guess, for um, the, the whole lithium story, the whole electrification and the greenification. So it, it has been a mighty ride for the last two years, that's for sure. Yeah, listen, you know, there's no doubt there will be other technologies. There's other things. But as, like you said, we're seen with the lithium-ion battery. It's taken 30 years to get here. The technology takes a while to, to, to scale up, to, you know, to prove up and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, whether something comes along in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, you know, once you spend infrastructure, and the reason why we've had these false starts in the lithium sector before is because the industry hasn't been ready. So, you know, you do need to spend a lot of money to, to get ready for a new technology, for new new sectors to come on board. You know, the, the internal combustion engine vehicle industry, you know, has been reluctant to make that move. They've been forced to by regulations. So, um, you know, anything new will take time. Uh, hopefully it, it adds and improves our, our lives as we think um, this move to electrification will. And, um, you know, if it does, great. Uh, you know, hopefully as a society and as a civilization, we can continue, continue to improve. But I think over the next, you know, whatever that short while is or medium or even longer while, it's going to be very hard to displace the lithium-ion battery and, and the infrastructure that's going to be built over the next 10 years and what's been built over the last five or 10 years uh, to, to replace that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there will be side little moves and things like that, but I guess the main avenue, the main driving, the driveway will be will be elect- uh, you know, electric vehicles and, and lithium-ion batteries as a, as a pathway to achieving what we need to do as a, as a society and as a civilization. It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? As far as looking at uh, the commodity itself goes and the, and the pricing forecast, we've seen a bit of a wobble in the last week or so uh, in terms of Goldman Sachs coming out again and saying, you know, we're still going to see that glut uh, of supply coming on towards the latter half of the 20s or the 2020s, and that's going to knock the lithium price down. But there's, there's many that still see the uh, the lithium price market being very buoyant, giving uh, given that there isn't a lot of supply coming on and it is quite hard to get mines into uh, production, I guess. And, and you're living testament to that because you're obviously advancing your project. So so tell us about Rincon. Yeah, and listen, just to the first part of that, you know, listen, you know, I think we've seen it a few times over the last couple of years with, you know, these banking groups or, or whoever sort of, you know, everyone's got their opinion, everyone's free to have their opinion. Uh, you know, from our perspective, what we're seeing is that you know, we, we can't go and work out what the supply is going to be. We worry about us. But what we can see from our side of things is the demand that people are coming to us with requiring lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide, you know, lithium chemicals to do what they need to do. And uh, that has just, over the last 18 months, two years, that has exponentially increased. So, you know, whether supply can meet that by the end of the decade or sooner or later, to me, um, you know, there will be a rationalisation, I presume, in price at some point in time. The question is, how long will it be and, and where does it settle? And uh, I think, you know, whether you're an investment bank or little old us, I don't think any of us are smart enough to work out what's going to happen in the future because there's going to be a lot of variables that happen between now and then. Uh, and like you said, you know, how much supply comes on board to, to meet that demand? Um, you know, that's going to be a tough one because, like you said, we're, we're, we're living proof that it is hard work bringing a project in production, especially from you know, the lithium side of things for, for these batteries that, you know, need other commodities as well. 
Um, you know, and I had a chat with a group this morning in OEM where they're sort of saying, well, you know, it's a lot easier with the nickel, with the cobalt, with the manganese and all that, but they're existing commodities that have been around for a while that can, you know, that you can process, that you can produce the, you know, the materials that they need for these batteries. Whereas the lithium sector has been very, you know, very much a little bit focused on the on the battery side of things, but generally it's been an industrial application for the last 25 years. It's been a byproduct generally produced out of South America. So, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't really seen what needs to happen to bring a, you know, these sort of, this mass scale of projects into production. And from our side of things, you know, we, you know, especially on, well, whether it's spodumene mining, that's probably easy enough for, for us in Australia and Canada and where these mines are to produce that. But it's then taking that concentrate, just like with us, you've got to get the brine and, and process it. It's the chemical processing that's required, whether it's the spodumene concentrate or the, or the brine material. It's very much chemical processing technology. It's not a mining game. It's a technology game. We need to look at it as a technology industry because without the technology, you can't, you can't process that material into the end product of, of the lithium chemicals uh, that need to be used for the cathode manufacturers or by the cathode manufacturers. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen the big guys, POSCO, Aramet, Sentient, uh, these guys in South America. We've seen Tianchi here in Perth building their hydroxide plant. We've seen others try to build these facilities in North America. And, you know, no one's brought a production operation online as yet, albeit, you know, Tianchi's built their hydroxide plant, but, you know, they're having troubles with getting it commissioned and into production. We've seen these South American guys, the big guys that I've talked about that have got lots of money, and should have the know-how, but they still haven't got production operations or built production operations. So it's not easy. It's not the conventional, you know, find a resource and then build an operation around it and including processing facilities. This is very much about proving up your processing technology to then be able to invest that money because, like I said, we've seen things where the technology is not quite right. You build it, you can blow a lot of dough, and then you can't fix it. So um, you, you, before you make the investments, you've got to get that technology right. And that's what this industry is. It's technology, it's chemical processing, and it hasn't been done on a mass scale like we need to see it over the next five, seven, eight years to the end of the decade to bring this supply online. And, and that's the big question mark is, you know, is that technology expertise out there enough given that, you know, we've only seen a few minor, well, a few operations, production operations in South America and in other parts of the world that have been doing this for, you know, over the last 25 years, 30 years, you know, in South America, there's only four production operations. You've got green bushes down the road and then you've got a few things in China and a few periphery things elsewhere in the world. But, you know, to the scale that we need to go, is there the expertise to be able to, you know, build a new sector off the back of technology expertise uh, to do what we need to do? And, and that, that's going to be the, the challenge for the industry. So so tell us about uh, Argosy and uh, the Rincon project that you've got down in uh, South America. Yeah, our Rincon project uh, in Rincon Salar, uh, just out of Salta. We're in Salta province in Argentina in the Lithium Triangle, as you said. Um, we've got a, a resource that's capable of sustaining a 16-and-a-half-year mine life at a 10,000-tonne production per annum rate. Um, so not you know decent mine life. We're doing drilling at the moment to extend that production rate and, and mine life. Um, you know, the way we've developed our project is via uh, proving up the technology. We initially built an industrial-scale pilot plant. We produced over 30 tonnes of product of battery-quality lithium carbonate, sold that into the market. Uh, off the back of that, albeit there was a couple of years there, we, we couldn't do much during the lean years of 2019 and 20. 
but from 2021, we went and raised some money. We've gone and built a 2,000 tonne per annum operation uh, that we're in currently in commissioning phase. We're looking to start continuous production operations early next year. We'll be basically producing uh, lithium carbonate product, selling into a market that obviously is quite lucrative at the moment. So again, probably more luck than um, you know excellent timing, albeit it is excellent timing. Generally, you know you build projects when the prices are high and you start selling and producing when, when prices start falling off. Uh, we sort of built it while prices were rising and we're going to meet the market in, in high prices. So that's very lucrative for us, even at a 2,000 tonne per annum scale. And then off the back of that, having uh, successfully completed that or very shortly completed that and getting that into production, we're going to look to build our 10,000 tonne scale expansion operation uh, over the next few years. Hopefully we'll be able to start that uh, early in the new year as well. And uh, that's sort of the way we've staged out, de-risked our project effectively via the, the technology being proven at each stage and comforting for us to be able to make the next stage of investment. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be, you know, the second ASX company to be a lithium carbonate producer. So uh, very exciting for us. It's taken us a little while to get here, albeit during some tough times, but while the times have you know, become in our favour, we've been able to maximise that. And, um, you know, not only to get to the next stage, to 12,000 tonnes per annum, but, you know, we are working on expanding our resource and then looking to expand our production capacity post the 10,000 tonne operation as well. So we're looking to build a sustainable, growing lithium production company. Like I said, only the second one on the ASX to produce lithium carbonate. And, um, you know, we, we very much like this staged approach, de-risked approach, and uh, we'll have a lot of cash flows to come through the door to help us further with further expansion. Um, you know, our, our key key sort of to this is is the technology and that's come off the, our local partner Pablo Alaralde. Pablo is a former director of processing and technology at FMC they've got uh, which is now Livent. they've got a existing lithium carbonate operation in, in Argentina he was there for 15 years he developed the technology that that Livent currently use he was listed as the first inventor on the patent for that technology so this guy's got you know 15 years of lithium processing experience uh, generally about 30-odd years of lithium experience uh, overall. And like I said earlier, you can't you can't find that sort of experience anywhere. And that's really the key to, to our project development and our strategy is this staged approach off the back of this technology, which he sort of, uh, you know, worked with us and, and, and as, a, as a partner in our project, uh, he's helped us develop and, and, and get to where we are today and, and hopefully where we're going to get to over the next few years with, with this expanded uh, production profile. So Yoko, we're talking brine, aren't we? Here for the, for those that aren't, yeah. aren't familiar with yeah. the so all the South American projects, especially the Argentina stuff at the moment. These projects that are in development are, are effectively, and the ones in operation are all all brine operations. So usually the whole evaporation process takes time. I guess uh, one of the secret sauce things that you've got going for you is this technology that you've got from Pablo. Is Pablo? Um, Working with anybody else? <laughs> have you got Pablo well and Yeah, listen, he's up? got him and his family have got a ten percent interest in our local subsidiary. Argosy will ultimately earn ninety percent of the project or of the company, and, and Pablo and his family will have ten percent. So that's very lucrative. That's why he left FMC back sort of ten years ago was to start his own business. We were lucky enough that we came across him when we did, and and, and we've had a great partnership since. But to your answer, no, he doesn't. You know, he's got no time to work for anyone else, let alone uh, want to work for anyone else. Um, but yeah, he's very much locked up with us. Uh, very much committed to the business. It's not just him, but we've got his family involved. His son, his son-in-laws, uh, his daughters—they're all involved in the business. They're all engineers or, or critical parts 
to the business. So we are seen as a, as a family business in the Salter province. That is very much a benefit for us. And, um, you know, when you've got the family involved um, and, you know, we're the extended family here at Argosy, um, you know, it's, it's one, at the moment, one very big, strong family to committed to, to building out this project. And, and like I said, it will become very lucrative, not only for Argosy, but for Pablo and his family when we start generating the, the revenues that, you know, we're looking to do from next year. So okay, so let's um, let's let's look at that. When do you think you'll be uh, actually producing? Uh, obviously, twenty twenty three watershed year, etc. When what's the sort of timeline that we should? Yeah, we're currently about? going through a commissioning phase at the moment. So you know, you, you can never really put a hundred percent sort of committed timeline to it. But we're aiming to complete the commissioning process by the end of the year, and then start continuous operations uh, from early next year, and then ramp up over the course of you know one to two quarters and then hopefully get into steady-state operations thereafter. Uh, obviously, that's pending, you know, completing the commissioning as we've targeted. That could be a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. You know, we just got to make sure we get that right, and that's where, again, we want to get that right. It's, it's very much focused on quality rather than sort of timelines or, or deadlines. You know, we want to get it right first time. Obviously, product quality is key, and uh, getting the commissioning right to set that up for the long term is, is paramount for us at the moment. So those sort of timeframes, you know, they'll have a little bit of flex, I'm sure. But, you know, at some point uh, in the first half of next year, we'll be very much in continuous operations. We'll be selling product, realising, uh, you know, these lucrative prices at the moment, generating revenues and cash flow and, um, you know, building up our business. And, and, and not only that, starting the next phase of operations and development uh, to, to continue our, our journey to become a bigger and, and better uh, lithium carbonate producer. Is, is there a... Um a Perth, South America shuttle. That uh, you must be. Uh, you must be certainly racking up the frequent flyer points. I guess you must spend quite a lot of time over in. Uh, in yeah, Argentina. and it's not so much frequent flyer points at the moment as as it is cost. Obviously, you know, out the back of COVID, some of these airfares have become very uh, ridiculous as oh. well. So it's it's managing costs more than anything. Yeah. And uh, you know, we're obviously very cost conscious and budget conscious with all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, listen, we uh, you know we're going to be there in a couple of weeks. Uh, me and my, my team here in Argosy are going to support and integrate further with our with our you know Puna team. Uh, hopefully, when we're there, we'll you know be able to have some more news coming out with with the progress with the commissioning and and uh, and so forth. Um, but yeah, listen, you know you got to you got to spend time there. We've obviously got a great local team, so you know Pablo is very much in charge of the local operations. I, I couldn't think of anyone better to build a lithium operation in Argentina than than, than our team. Um, so we're very comfortable with, with the expertise. Obviously, um, you know, as we get bigger, we're going to need more people and, and we're, we're working on that at the moment. But, yeah, you know, seeing that firsthand, nothing better, but very much complete faith in our local team to do the job and do what we need to do um, over, over you know, not only the last year and a half, but over, over coming years to do what we need to do as well. And is there a seasonality involved in the in the brine game in, in Argentina? Is there some some parts of the year where you've got, you're getting better returns than other parts of the Not year? Not really, albeit obviously, you know, especially on the on the conventional processing side of things, conventional technology with the evaporation ponds, you know, obviously you concentrate and evaporation cycles are better when, when there's a lot more sun in the sky and that period is sort of from about um, August through to April, May. You do have that sort of short wintry period of May through to August or around that sort of couple of months there, you know, June, July probably being the peak period of that. So your, your concentration levels, your evaporation levels do decrease during that period. 
for us, we're looking at about a 12-month cycle, given that, you know, you've got to take into account the, the lower uh, evaporation rates during winter. But, you know, generally it will be a 12-month cycle for us to concentrate our brine. But once that first 12-month cycle has been done, you're in continuous operations. You know, we'll be producing product, lithium product, from our plant every day. It uh, doesn't matter what's happening with the, the seasonality. It's, it's Once you've seen out that first year for us, you'll have enough uh, concentrated brine feeding that plant to operate, um, you know, 365 days of the year subject to, you know, some uh, maintenance works and so forth. But we'll have concentrated brine available for us every day because we've, you know, we've, we've had that brine concentrated in our ponds for, for over 12 months now. So, um, you know, that's all ready to go. Uh, as far as the drilling side of things go, uh, is that uh, does that get affected by seasons, or can you drill pretty much all year round and uh, just just go? Yeah, listen, it does get it. You do get a little bit of snow on the ground during that sort of June July period for maybe a week or two. So you, you know you do have a little bit of cold conditions there, but you know that doesn't impact in your ability to drill. So you can drill twelve months of the year. You can operate there twelve months cool. of the year. There's there's no problems there with whether it's drilling, whether it's production, whether it's whatever. You can you can work. 12 months of the year. Probably the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, obstacle is when you do get those seasonal summer rains, uh, generally in January or so for a week or two, and because it's sort of very seasonal and very sort of concentrated, you get probably, you know, sort of a lot of rain, well, not a lot, relatively a lot of rain, so, you know, you do get a little bit of flooding in some parts, so that's really all you have to watch out for is, you know, just local conditions, local roads and, and things like that that get impacted for, you know, a few days here or there that you need to manage. So that's probably more more critical than, than the colder period is, is some of the rains that you get. Uh, but that doesn't impact operations or drilling or anything like that. It's just access and, and infrastructure and logistics. Now, I guess generally uh, there has been a little bit of pushback in the past from some of the locals in terms of uh, environmental issues and water table issues and because it is quite a water-intensive industry i guess uh, evaporation ponds for brine is that something you faced or is that uh, something that rears its ugly head every now and then and just uh, then disappears no listen it's, it's part of the environmental uh, approvals process uh, you know the, whether it's water sensitive areas or or whatever uh, on the argentina side it's it's not that it's not as critical but uh, because we're higher elevation uh, up in the puna region in argentina where you know most of the projects are around 3500 meters plus uh, it probably has been more of an issue on the Chile side where, where their key projects, the, the Atacama uh, projects, uh, are, are a lower elevation, you know, around that 2,500 metres plus or minus. And, you know, when you're lower elevation, there's more vegetation, there's more animals, there's more, you know, flora, fauna, living things, including people. And then obviously when there's people and flora and fauna, there's more of a reliance on, on fresh water. Um, so that's, that's more of an issue on that side. Uh, given where we are at those sort of elevations, you don't have a lot of communities, you don't have a lot of animals, you don't have a lot of vegetation, so there's a lot less demand on freshwater. So it's a freshwater issue. Given the brine is salty water, uh, generally most projects, albeit that you do need to pump out brine, um, but you can re-inject a lot of the the the, the um, refuse, you know, the uh, refuse water material or, or the you know waste material, I guess, which is. In our process, fresh water anyway, or, 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 or you know, it's it's a pH of seven, so then generally that's regarded as fresh water. So you do re-inject it anyway. Uh, so taking out that brine, generally with incoming water flows through rain and so forth, um, you will have a natural balance. We don't use a lot of fresh water in our process anyway. Obviously, we do have a drawdown effect on the on the brine, 
But again, that's where we do submit our hydrogeological model to the government on a six-monthly basis so they can monitor that as part of the environmental approval process. You do need to show your your impact to the environment, the drawdowns and so forth. Um, and, you know, we've been able to satisfy uh, the requirements from our side to show that, you know, the impact um, is not negligible, but it's it's not impacting in a negative way uh, that the government can't can't accept. So, you know, we're very comfortable with ours. What happens in the future, you know, we'll see uh, in terms of a lot more projects. And, and, and the regulations are increasing at, at government level for, for the environmental requirements. And that's probably a reason why our 10,000 tonne approval process has taken longer than it has or that we expected was because you, you know, the, the governments are learning as more projects want to get sort of into development. There is more environmental criteria that you need to meet. And so you need to do, you know, obviously then respond to the government to show how you're mitigating those impacts. And that's what we've been able to do and carry on with you know, the, the back and forth process with the government to ensure they're comfortable to give you your approvals. And, um, you know, we're sort of in the final stages of that. We're very comfortable where we're at. Uh, we met with the Mining Secretary of Salter a couple of weeks ago while she was in Sydney at the IMARC conference. They're very familiar with our project, her department. So we're very comfortable in that process. And, and I'd like to think all other projects are meeting those same requirements and, 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 and ensuring that there is, you know, as little impact to the environment as possible. Obviously, a lot of companies, including us, we're going through our ESG requirements there, the corporate and social responsibilities as part of the, the S. The environmental, obviously, is key for, for approvals processes and including the, the G, the governance. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's something that, especially as ASX-listed companies or public companies, we, we need to do anyway. So we'd like to think that you know, given that there is little impact uh, to a small communities in that area that, you know, at least from our project perspective... We've got a very supporting community. We've got a very supportive local government. Uh, we've got very supportive um, you know, stakeholders. So we're, we're very comfortable where we're at and, and that we can build our project to, to its maximum capacity. So in, in terms of uh, funding, uh, you, you've got the, uh, the, the money to do this and, uh, in terms of CapEx requirements uh, going forward, not just, I guess, to get the 2,000 tonne random facility going but also the expansion to the, the 10,000. Yeah, so obviously we've, we've completed our 2,000 effectively so we've probably spent the majority of money that we need which we've obviously got, you know, we've been able to raise in the past. Uh, going forward, uh, we've made it very clear that we're looking at a strategic type arrangement uh, which uh, leverages the offtake to these groups that are keen for the product with some sort of investment associated with that uh, and we're looking at a prepayment type arrangement. So we've had, you know, especially you know, over the last 18 months, but very much over the last six months, no end of interest for that. So we've been working diligently through that, working out the best scenarios for not only us, but also for our potential strategic partner. I think having a strategic partner is critical. I think you've seen some of the other companies like, you know, formerly Oricobre build strong relationships with, with their partners. Uh, Pilbara Minerals here in Australia build strong relationships with their partners. And, you know, during the harder years, those relationships came to the fore. Um, so, you know, I think that is critical uh, as, a, as a new startup operation. So we're very much sort of focused on that and we expect a funding solution for the, for the next stage of CapEx requirement to come, you know, through that as well. And, um, you know, we're more than happy to, ha you know, arrange offtake arrangements associated with that. So that's where we think we'll have a solution over coming months to, to lock that in. Uh, we've had some very strong um, uh, progress to date. And we're looking to close that off over the next uh, couple of months, and uh, hopefully we can announce that to the market that 
you know, that's all been done and secured and, and we can show the pathway to, to 12,000 tonnes per annum and having a good strategic partner who's also our offtake partner and also uh, invested in the project. So very much aligned with, with what we're trying to do and, and what they're trying to do and, and secure the product and not only the product for the short term, but also increasing that capacity for the longer term as well, given their growth requirements as well. Sounds like 2023 is going to be a big year for Argosy. We think it's going to be, we've called it transformational. I know probably a lot of companies say that. We've probably used that a lot in the past, but <laughs> hopefully it will be for us because it will take us from, you know, uh, uh, from an explorer to a developer to a producer. And, um, you know, there's not many companies that could, they can say that they've done that. Obviously, we all aim for it and uh, we're very excited to hopefully achieve that over the coming months. Now, now, as well as Rincon, I guess we should touch on this uh, before we go. You've got a US project as well, is that the yeah, case? Yeah, very much expiration stage. We picked it up during the lean years in 2019. Uh, we've got it very cheaply, so it's just a little bit of exposure to the US market. I think we've seen, the, you know, especially under the Biden administration, the push towards critical minerals and, and you know, the, the recent Inflation Reduction Act, plus some of the things that have come before that. Uh, so there's a very much a strong push in the US for you know, for, for projects in the U.S. or supply chains through the U.S. So, um, you know, it's an exciting project for us in terms of U.S. exposure. As I said, though, it's very much at expiration stage. We're looking to sort of push it a little bit harder this year to get to drilling. We didn't quite get there given the focus at Rincon, but that's something we'll look to do, you know, over the next 12 months, see what we can find there. And, you know, if we can follow a similar development pathway that we follow or that we've taken in Argentina and applied in the U.S., Fantastic. Obviously, there's a few hurdles to overcome in the US that perhaps aren't as, as, as crucial in Argentina. You know, water rights is a big issue in, in Nevada. Um, so, you know, there, there, there is some, you know, sort of regulatory and, and, and associated issues you know, in North America, whether it's US or, or Canada. Um, you know, it is a little bit harder to bring projects online there. And we're going to probably need a bit of government support in that regard for us and all the projects in, in the US and, and Canada. So that's something we'll be working on, you know, probably a little bit of a slower pathway, but something we'll look to try to exploit at some point in time. Yeah, I'm a fan of Yellowstone, and uh, you certainly wouldn't want to cross uh, Beth or John Dutton uh, there in Montana, of course. That's right. That's only a TV program, but uh, you can see that they're, they're far more sensitive to... Sensitive and more understanding of you know impacts and things like that, and you know they're probably not as critically requiring, you know, the sort of economic stimulus that, you know, mining and these sort of projects bring to local communities. In Argentina, it's a big benefit for employment and taxes and royalties and all that sort of stuff that it brings to the government. In the US, obviously, a lot more mature economy. Uh, mining, obviously, is very critical, but, you know, in some parts, it's it's not as required as in others. And, um, you know, that's, that's like you said, that's a little bit of a challenge in a in more mature market. Now, just, just before we go, I, I noticed the other day, Inflation in Argentina was, uh, I think I saw it was higher than Turkey. Uh, are, you, are you seeing a, an increase in costs uh, for your project? Are you seeing problems with getting staff uh, and, and crew, etc., or, or are you guys um, got that uh, sorted? Yeah, listen, inflation's been a big issue in Argentina for probably the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, it's something that they haven't managed to, to overcome, but generally everything sort of from our level, you know, whether it's service providers or equipment providers or even you know, local costs generally are pegged against the US dollar. So even though the, the exchange rate keeps increasing and you do have this inflationary impact, uh, generally it's pegged against the US dollar. So, you know, given we've got US dollars, it's not as critical given we'll be paid in, in US dollars. We don't see that same impact. Um, 
for the locals, obviously, albeit the interest rate is very high, inflation's high, you do have high savings interest rates as well. So it does sort of negate it a little bit, not not completely. Um, but from our side of things, you know, the what we're seeing more of, you know, probably more of a Western economy sense, inflation is being driven by, by um, you know, lack of staffing and people, what we've seen with costs. Um, it's not quite as critical in Argentina, but saying that, um, given there's a lot of projects coming online in Argentina or looking to get into development in Argentina, there is a pull on resources, human resources. And for us, you know, human resources is probably our biggest risk to continue the development of the project, getting the people that you need and the expertise and the and the service providers and the contractors that you need to build these projects. So, um, you know, you've got big guys like Gang Feng and Posco and Rio Tinto, who's next door to us now. They're all pulling that same talent pool of service providers, people and so forth. So, you know, there's only a limited amount of local people. You're going to have to bring in outside expertise, and that's why we're looking to build up our team here as well. Um, but, you know, that, that is, yeah, that is that is a concern. People is your, probably your biggest risk for us. Uh, costs, you know, probably you know, will escalate in due course, but we're seeing that all around the world. Um, but those sort of issues key to, to Argentina, you can negate that a little bit given your, your you know, your outside exposure and, and access to, to, to foreign currency, bring it into Argentina is actually, you know, you're getting better bang for your buck uh, given those those issues in Argentina with with the currency and so forth. But, um, you know, that's all stuff that we hope the government will will be able to resolve in, in coming years and, and that becomes less of an issue as well. Pablo needs a bigger family. <laughs> Don't worry, we've got a lot. That's right, exactly, yeah. Well, listen, we've, we've got cousins, we've got sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws and uh, all sorts. Um, cousins, <laughs> nephews, nieces, but yes, that's right. More people equals, you know, and that's like I said, you know. And again, you got to be careful. You want to get the right people as well as just any people. Yeah. But you know, given we've been able to develop our project in stages, we've been able to refine, you know, getting those right people on board, training them up, because that's key as well. There's no point just getting people unless they're you know going to add add value. And we've been able to do that a little bit, albeit you know we've probably got you know a large proportion of what we need for the 2010 operation and finishing that off over the next month or two. And then you've got to start again with a 10,000 ton expansion to, to get the right staffing for that as well. So um, that's right. You know, whether it's the family over here or the family over there, um, we're going to need more people for sure. You are indeed. Well, Yoko, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I'm really uh, looking forward to 2023 for you guys because I think it's going to be a, a terrific year and I wish you lots of luck with the project, getting it on stream in production and commissioned. And then, of course, uh, that expansion plan to 10,000 and beyond, I guess. So uh, good luck and, and well done getting this Thank you far. very much. Really appreciate uh, your interest and I'd love to be back in touch when, when we do get those sort of milestones complete over the next three to six months. 